You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by CMS Link Missionary, Chris Dean. Hi everyone, my name's Tim. I'm the Senior Minister here at St. John's. And it's a great pleasure today to introduce uh, Chris and Julie Dean, who are our new uh, CMS uh, Church Missionary Society Link Missionary. So it's great to have you guys with us. And we, we're sorry we haven't turned out a huge uh, crowd physically present to greet you. Not that we could really touch and shake hands, uh, but to welcome you. Um, we're overjoyed that you're joining us as, as partners. Um, and we're looking forward to uh, getting to know you uh, and learn a bit more about what you're about to do. Um, look, if people were physically in the building, I'm sure that people would gather around and introduce themselves and and welcome you. And we'd love people to do that online. So whether it's shooting an email, uh, commenting on uh, the stream, uh, sending a Facebook message, whatever it is, why don't we welcome Chris and Julie and and tell them uh, how much we're really keen to partner with them. So I invite you to do that, even though you're not physically in the building. Um, But How about you tell us a little bit about yourselves, and we'd love to know how you came to be followers of Jesus. Uh, Great. Thanks, Tim. Well, it's a delight for Julie and I to be um, partnering with St. John's as well uh, in uh, our mission service in Timor-Leste. Yes, so a little bit about me for a start. Um, Yes, so I grew up in a very religious Catholic home, and I was taught lots of true Orthodox Christian doctrine. But unfortunately, in my case, I was just never clearly taught the gospel. Uh, So in effect, I was taught that the way to relate to God was impersonally. Uh, The way to perhaps make myself acceptable to God was through doing religious stuff, uh, activities and observances. And so in my teenage years, I really threw myself into these uh, religious activities. But despite all my efforts, they brought me no peace. I had no assurance at all that God would actually accept me and I lived in ongoing fear. I lived in ongoing fear of mortal sin and of going to hell. But then when I moved to Melbourne to go to uni, um, I first heard the gospel of God's grace explained clearly and simply for the first time. I learnt amazingly that salvation has nothing to do with what I do and it has everything to do with what the Lord Jesus has already done. And over time, um, I bought a Bible and started to read the Bible and I prayed to God that he would show me if what I'd learnt from my friend was true. And over time, uh, God revealed to me by his spirit that the gospel, the simple gospel is true. Uh, And so so I came to trust in Jesus alone for my salvation and I no longer lived in fear. And then after university, I worked for a long time as an optometrist. And during that time, I did a couple of eye care aid trips uh, to Papua New Guinea. uh, Sorry, one to Papua New Guinea and a couple uh, to post-independence Timor-Leste. And then more recently, I've been serving as the church planter and minister of Warrigal Presbyterian Church in Gippsland. I grew up in a Christian home and trusted in Jesus as my personal saviour at a young age. Most recently, I've worked as a teacher's aide while also serving alongside Chris in ministry. And we have two young adult sons who will remain in Australia while we're serving in Timor. Fantastic. So wonderful to hear uh, a bit of of your stories. Thank you. Uh, Tell us how you've 
come to be to be missionaries, to choose to go out from Australia. And, well, you've, you've already told us where you're going, <laughs> Timor-Leste, but, but a little bit about where you're going. Yep. Sure. Chris and I have had a long-term interest in cross-cultural missions. God has given us both an interest in meeting, understanding and relating to people and a growing passion to see Jesus' gospel spread throughout the world. Increasingly, the conviction that Jesus is the answer to humanity's problems and that he's the only, only saviour for all nations has been weighing on us. CMS, the Church Missionary Society, helped us to discern that Timor-Leste would be a really strategic place for us to serve because of our life and ministry experience. Um, tell us a little bit about what the particular spiritual needs are of Timor-Leste. Why is it particularly that you're going there? Mm, yep. Well, as many of you know, and many of you will remember, Timor-Leste received its political freedom almost 20 years ago. However, even though that's the case, very many of the Timorese still live in spiritual bondage. In fact, they live lives of fear like I once did. Now, today, well over 90% of the people of Timor-Leste identify in an official, formal way, uh, they identify as Roman Catholic. And this figure went up um, dramatically from about 28% prior to the Indonesian invasion in 75. Um, and the main reason that there was a huge increase in the amount of formal Catholicism in the country was because under Indonesian rule, you had to choose one of the five major world religions. And uh, most Timorese uh, chose Roman Catholicism. Uh, but although uh, Timor is uh, now, at an official level, a majority Catholic, the everyday lived-out religious worldview of most of the people of Timor-Leste still remains very much their traditional animism. That is, most Timorese continue to live in fear of the spirits, uh, whom they understand to control the world and to control events in their everyday lives. So the people may very well go to Mass on Sunday or to other Catholic ceremonies, but during the week they'll do things like go and consult the witch doctor or make offerings to the spirit of their dead ancestors or to other spirits to try and succeed in everyday life and particularly to try and avoid misfortune and disaster. So despite all their religion, most Timorese still live in fear. And I know, from my background, I know what that's like. Um, most Timorese are yet to personally meet and trust the true God through the Lord Jesus, the one who is powerful over all the spirits. And so God continues to impress upon Julie and I uh, the real need that the Timorese have to hear of his extraordinary love and grace to us through the Lord Jesus, the only one who can release them from the bondage, bondage of fear as he did for me. So what specifically will you guys be doing when you go to Timor-Leste? Mm -hmm. When we go to Timor-Leste, we will be working alongside the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Pastor Carlos Marcel leads the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. And when we visited him early last year, he prayed that we might be able to return as missionaries. So God willing, we are plan planning to return later this year. We plan to work alongside Pastor Carlos and other CMS missionaries, Chris and Grace Adams, to help further strengthen the gospel work of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. 
by supporting, encouraging, and equipping pastors and leaders in their disciple-making ministries, including through training and providing local language Bible resources. The main language spoken in Timor-Leste is Tetan, and there are very few Bible resources available in this language. So how long are you guys uh, planning to, to go and stay and serve in Timor-Leste? Our first term will be three years, but God willing, we plan to be there much, much longer. And so that we can serve the church well, we must first learn the language and the culture. So how can we uh, best partner with you? Uh, we take very seriously as a church the fact that we are partners. You're the ones mm. going, but we are in this with you. Mm. So how can we best do that? How can we best uh, support you as you go and make disciples for Jesus uh, in Timor-Leste? Yeah, thanks, Tim. Uh, look, we're, again, we're delighted to be partnering with uh, St John's. And um, I think partnership, um, the key way in which you can be partnering with us is um, probably twofold. Uh, in your prayers, we would love it uh, uh, if as a congregation and maybe in your small groups or in other prayer meetings and these sorts of things, if you can be praying for us uh, in our ministry in Timor-Leste, particularly in our language and culture learning in the first instance. Um, and uh, we'll be, uh, for our part, we'll be sending through prayer letters um, and prayer reports uh, and newsletters to let you know how we're going. So if you can be praying for us, that would be great. Um, also, if individuals in the congregation would like to receive prayer letters, so you can be praying as an individual uh, or as a household or with your family, uh, then we'd really welcome that. We'd ordinarily have a sign-up sheet for our prayer newsletter here, but obviously that's a bit difficult. Um, so please, if you'd like to receive our prayer letter so you can be praying for us uh, in your own home, uh, please feel free to email us at um, cjdean at cms.org.au uh, or just go to the CMS website, cms.org.au or just get in touch with Tim or one of the staff. Uh, the other way that um, you can partner with us um, is if you'd like to, uh, you could partner with us financially. Uh, now, we're very, very thankful uh, for the generosity of St John's as a congregation or as congregations uh, in partnering with us uh, financially in this gospel work. Uh, but if others, uh, if individuals uh, or families within the congregation would like uh, to likewise partner uh, individually, uh, financially, that would be fantastic. Uh, that would help send us uh, and keep us in Timor-Leste. And again, feel free just to go to the CMS website, cms.org.au, or again, speak to Tim or one of the pastors. Thank you. Uh, in a moment, Chris is going to uh, bring us a talk from the Bible, uh, and Lenny's about to read that for us. But I'd love to pray for you guys you. Uh, right now before we do that. Loving God, we thank you for the way in which you have worked so clearly in Chris and Julie's life. Mm. We thank you that you've brought them to be followers of Jesus, to know his grace and his love, the love that drives out fear in their lives. Mm. Uh, and so we pray that you would be equipping them and preparing them as they go and share your good news uh, and work in the church in Timor-Leste. We pray that you would help them to say good farewells to family and friends that they'll be leaving behind in Australia. And uh, we pray, particularly with the uncertainty now of when exactly they'll be leaving in our current situation, we pray that you'd give them your peace and patience and that you would be using uh, whatever time uh, they have in Australia before going to prepare them and to equip them to do your good work. Uh, help us as a church to be good partners, to be prayerful, 
to be encouraging uh, and to support the good work that they will be doing. Uh, and we rejoice in the fact that we can be partners with them and that we can be ministering in Timor-Leste uh, through Chris and Julie. So we commit them to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Thanks Lenny. Hi, everyone. So my name's Lenny. I'm one of the volunteers here at St. John's, and I'm just going to read the Bible with us. So uh, you can, if you've got your Bibles at home, open them up, um, or if you're using an app or something, we're going to be reading from uh, Luke 24, 36 to 53. Um, so just to give you a bit of context first, so um, all the disciples have come back to Jerusalem, and they've found out that Jesus has risen from the dead. So um, they're all together, and we're going to start our passage. So while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they'd seen a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they, they still did not believe it because of the joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Thanks very much, Lenny. Uh, well, if, you'd, um, if you've got a Bible with you, it'd um, be great if you could keep it open at uh, Luke 24, um, and we'll look at this passage together. Uh, so I'll just uh, lead us in a word of prayer. Uh, as we prepare to do that. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much uh, that uh, it's always good for Christian people to gather. Uh, and even if we're gathering uh, by digital means tonight, it's great for us to gather in the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, we thank you so much for your word, um, which is given by inspiration of your spirit. And we thank you for your servant, Luke, who wrote down this careful, uh, orderly account about the Lord Jesus so that we can have certainty about the things we read. I pray, Lord, that as uh, we look at this uh, part of your word together, that you'll encourage our hearts in our faith in the Lord Jesus, 
uh, that we might have uh, ears to hear and wills to obey and hearts to rejoice in what we learn tonight. I pray that you'll give me grace to speak faithfully from your word. So we pray these things in Jesus' great name. Amen. Well, friends, over the years, I've done um, a fair bit uh, of locum optometry work. Now, locum's a funny word. Locum is Latin for placeholder. It means someone who takes the place of somebody else, someone who stands in for them while they're away. So locums take care of business while the business owner's away and until they return. Now, when you step in as a locum for someone, or at least in my experience, the instructions they give you are usually very general and actually very sparse. They say something like, well, take care of the business by taking care of the patients. But sometimes, as a locum, you feel that slightly more detailed information might be helpful, uh, like well, where do they keep the pupil dilating drops or which lens supplies do they use or are there any local eye surgeons to refer to when necessary? And on one occasion, actually, remarkably, I got such information. In fact, I got much, much more. Uh, that particular optometrist gave me very specific instructions. He gave me written instructions, all his processes, all his procedures to help me. So while he was away and until he returned, I had crystal clarity on what my mission was as his locum, his placeholder. Well, friends, for us as Bible-believing Christians, we're a bit like locums for the Lord Jesus. Jesus lived and died and rose again to save us from our sin and to redeem us from all for all eternity. But then he ascended back to heaven from where he's coming again one great day. And in the meantime, he's left us, his people, his church, as, in a sense, his locums. As his church, our job is to take care of business for Jesus in his place while he's away. As the church, as Jesus' placeholder, we're to carry out his mission, which actually becomes our mission. And the good thing is, friends, we, we know what that mission is, or at least we can know. We're not uninformed locums, or at least we needn't be. Because just like that particular optometrist I locumed for, with his very clear detailed instructions, we too have clear instructions from Jesus. Jesus' instructions are found here for us in Luke 24. Luke, who according to chapter 1 verse 3 has made a careful, orderly account regarding Jesus, Luke has faithfully recorded Jesus' instructions for us. Friends, Luke 24, 36 to 53 shows us that until Jesus returns, he sends us and he empowers us to proclaim his salvation to all peoples. And of course, Jesus can only do that. He can only send and empower us because Jesus is no longer dead. Luke is very, very clear about this. This passage is crystal clear about this. Although Jesus was once dead, now he's absolutely alive and he's coming back again. Friends, because of Luke's meticulous, orderly account, we can, according to chapter 1, verse 4, we can have certainty about this. 
Now, so far, throughout chapter 24, from verse 1, Luke has carefully retold how some women disciples who'd seen Jesus' dead body laid in the tomb on Good Friday, how they'd found that same tomb very empty on Easter Sunday morning, and how angels had explained to these disciples how Jesus had risen from the dead, just as Jesus himself had foretold. And then from 24 verse 13, Luke has has recounted for us how two other disciples met the risen Jesus on the Emmaus Road and how after finally recognising him, they rushed back to Jerusalem to tell the apostles, only to find that the apostles and the disciples there themselves are already excitedly talking about Jesus' resurrection, about how he'd actually even appeared to Simon Peter. And then in our passage tonight from verse 36, while everyone's excitedly gathered around talking about this, the risen Jesus himself stands among them. The one they'd all seen gruesomely crucified now appeared miraculously among them all. And yet Jesus' reassuring words, his first words to them, peace be with you, they don't reassure them at all. Far from it, the gathered disciples are petrified. They think they're seeing a ghost. But friends, they could not be more mistaken because Jesus comprehensively shows them the mistake. Jesus comprehensively shows them that he's no ghost, he's no spooky apparition. He gives them rock-solid proof of life. So firstly, in verse 38 to 40, Jesus gently rebukes them for their lack of faith, for being troubled and doubting. Look at my hands and my feet, he says. That is, see my wounds from being nailed to the cross. It's me, Jesus, myself, the one you saw nailed there till death. It's me. But don't just look at my wounds. Touch me, grab hold of me. I'm no ghost. I can't be a ghost. I've got real flesh and bones, just as you have. It really is me, Jesus is saying. I really was dead, but now I really am alive, living and breathing in front of you. But, verse 41, even after this, the disciples still don't know what to think. Their physical senses, their sight, their hearing, even their sense of touch, these testify to them that their murdered master really is alive. Yet logic tells them, well, that dead people stay dead. And they're struggling to fully believe, verse 41, because of their joy and amazement. As if their amazement at what their senses are telling them and the associated joy, as if it's paralysing them and disorientating them. And so, secondly, to dispel all doubt, Jesus asks for for some food. And right there before their very eyes, he eats some fish. And you can only do that if you're really physically alive and kicking. So there can be no doubt. Jesus is no longer dead and he's no ghost. He's absolutely fully physically alive. And without being too hard on the disciples, because no doubt we would have been just as disbelieving, without being too hard on them, nonetheless, somehow Jesus' resurrection should not have astounded them. In a sense, when the risen Jesus came and stood before them and amongst them, in a sense, their instinctive response should have been, of course, here you are, back from the dead, 
just as you said. Or at least from Jesus' perspective, that should have been their instinctive response because Jesus had already taught them as much from the Bible. So Jesus says in verse 44, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Jesus had already taught them from the whole Hebrew Bible, from our Old Testament, from the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. He'd already taught them that everything written about him there must be fulfilled. He'd already taught them that he, Jesus, was the Christ, the central figure about, human, uh, about whom Scripture spoke, that he was the fulfilment of Scripture and that after dying he would rise again. So since they were still slow to grasp this, well now the risen Jesus, like any good patient teacher, the, the risen Jesus graciously teaches them again. Verse 45, he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures, the law, the prophets, the Psalms. And specifically, Jesus opened their minds to see from the scriptures, from what is written, verse 46, to see that it was always going to be the case that he, the Christ, would suffer and would rise after three days. And verse 47, that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be preached in his name to all nations. So Jesus enlightens his disciples to see from Scripture what they'd been slow to see before, to help them grasp what they'd hardly comprehended, that he, the Christ, according to God's written plan, had to suffer, being mistreated, tortured, and ultimately crucified to death. And why? Well, he had to do this to pay for our sins. And Jesus taught them that he had to gloriously rise after three days, and why? Well, to demonstrate that God had accepted his sacrifice for our sins. But even more than that, Jesus also reminds them again of the, that the astounding news of the gospel, of repentance for forgiveness of sins through him, that according to the scriptures, that this news had to be preached to all nations, to all people groups, beginning at Jerusalem, but extending far beyond. That is, Jesus teaches, God's plan anticipated from the whole Old Testament was always that one day people from all people groups should hear the magnificent news that through the risen Jesus they might experience God's forgiveness and gloriously receive eternal life. But the question is, given that this news is, is indeed for all peoples, the question is, how will it get out to them all? Well, through witnesses. You see, friends, Jesus did not appear to his disciples simply to comfort them, simply to take away their private grief. No, his agenda was much larger and much more magnificent than that. Jesus appeared to them to prove his resurrection, in fact, to make them witnesses to his resurrection. Look at verse 48. Jesus says, you are witnesses to these things. And friends, what do witnesses do? Well, witnesses don't sit on what they know to be true. They don't keep it to themselves. Witnesses tell others what they know to be true. Friends, here the risen Jesus is absolutely commissioning his disciples he's sending them as witnesses who know that his death for our sin has been effective because he's risen again he's sending them to proclaim this saving message to the whole world what an extraordinary thing 
Jesus is taking the very people who deserted him at his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, and he's sending these shaky, flaky witnesses to proclaim salvation in his name alone to all nations and all peoples. That is, firstly, to preach Jesus as God's chosen Messiah, the Christ, to the nation to the Jewish nation of that day, which, especially through its leaders, had already strongly rejected him. And secondly, he's, preach, he's sending them to preach, him, to preach Jesus as exclusive saviour throughout the whole Greco-Roman world, where every nation already had its own saviours and its own gods, so-called, where to exclusively worship an apparently new god, the Lord Jesus Christ, where that would be treason against the state. And he's sending his disciples to do this. But how can these weak disciples, these timid disciples of Jesus, how can they find strength to proclaim him to all nations and peoples? How can a bunch of weak witnesses do that? Where will they find the strength for that? Humanly speaking, it's impossible. Not to say extremely dangerous. The power of positive thinking just won't cut it. Friends, the only possible way for these disciples that they'll be able to carry out Jesus' mission is to be his witnesses and proclaim his gospel is to do it with God's very powerful help. And friends, that's exactly what they're going to get. In fact, Jesus himself will give them God's very spirit to empower them. So that's what it means in verse 49. We read that Jesus will send them what, the, what God the Father had promised, clothing them with clothing them with power from on high all they need to do is just to wait a little while longer verse 49 to 53 in the city in jerusalem waiting until jesus sends the spirit and jesus will do that after his ascension back to heaven his ascension which we read about in verse 50 to 53 and friends we know that we, we know with certainty that this promised power from on high that Jesus will send is indeed God's personal spirit and not some vague force like in Star Wars. We know with certainty that it's the spirit because Luke in his second volume in Acts tells us as much. In Acts chapter 1 verse 6 to 11, Luke retells and reiterates Jesus's ascension where just before ascending, Jesus actually promises his disciples in verse 8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And of course, the Holy Spirit does come upon Jesus' disciples with power at Pentecost in Acts 2. So friends, the risen Jesus not only sends his disciples to proclaim his gospel, to he personally empowers them for mission. He powerfully equips them with his personal spirit, God's living Holy Spirit. Well, brothers and sisters, as Christian believers, as God's church, Jesus has left us here, in a sense, as his locums, his placeholders. Friends, Jesus has a mission in his world. His mission is for his saving gospel to go to all peoples, this is Jesus' mission, his business. And our job is to take care of business for Jesus in his place while he's away. 
Friends, until Jesus returns, he sends us and he empowers us to proclaim his salvation to all peoples. And as 21st century believers, we know that this is the case. We know from Matthew 28 that this, Jesus' gospel mission, which was first given to the apostles, we know that it was not simply for the apostles and for the very first Christians, but for his church throughout history, even down to today. You see, in Matthew 28 from verse 19 and 20, Jesus promised the apostles that he would be with his witnesses till the end of the age. But the apostles are long gone, aren't they? Yet this age has not ended. The world, with its thousands of unreached people groups, thousands of distinct ethno-cultural linguistic people groups, the world continues on. And the ascended Jesus, who was with the apostles by his spirit, remains with us to the end of the age by that same spirit. Jesus remains with us by his spirit, empowering us, sending us as his witnesses even today. For the sake of people groups who've never heard the gospel, for the sake of the nations, Jesus still sends his people today. He still sends and he empowers us, his church. And as you know, some of us, Jesus sends a long way to nations and people groups. Some of us, Jesus sends across national boundaries and across ethnic and cultural and language boundaries, like for Julie and I, to the people groups of Timor-Leste. And surely, since so many people groups worldwide have still not heard or have hardly heard about the Lord Jesus, surely Jesus is going to keep doing it. Surely God, by his spirit, will continue to send and empower more of his people to go to those who need to hear. Surely Jesus continues to call some, perhaps even some of you watching tonight, Surely Jesus continues to call some to go wherever is necessary, to leave homes and cross cultural boundaries, to proclaim him as his witnesses amongst all nations. Friends, what a privilege it is for us to pray that Jesus will indeed continue calling and sending and empowering many, many such witnesses for his great glory and for the salvation of many. And it greatly glorifies the Lord Jesus when those who go as cross-cultural missionaries, when, when they go with help, when they're helped on their way, in fact, when they're sent by believers who stay. Cross-cultural missionaries go as Jesus sends them pre precisely because some Christians stay, remaining at home, supporting them prayerfully and practically and financially. Cross-cultural missionaries need gospel partners at home who will partner with them in these ways, who will, by God's grace, sacrificially commit to supporting them and Jesus' mission through them, so that ultimately more people from all nations and people groups might receive salvation in Jesus. Yet, although it is the case that Jesus does still send some people long distances, crossing cultures, when you think about it, when you think about it, even though that's the case, none of us actually needs to go far at all to be witnesses who proclaim Jesus. Although Jesus sends some people a long way, none of us needs to go very far at all to find people who've either not heard about Jesus and the salvation he brings or who are confused about Jesus. Friends, in post-Christendom, 
multi-religious, multicultural Australia in which in God's providence he's actually brought the nations to us, very many people, perhaps the majority of people, do not share our biblical convictions about who Jesus is nor of their great need for him. Brothers and sisters, uh, people you know and work with and study with, people next door and friends at school, people who are friends with uh, and friends with uh, still and people who you might meet tomorrow, people from all these categories don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. But they do know you. And if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, indwelt as you are by his very powerful spirit, then Jesus has called you and sent you into these people's lives, into these relationships and networks. He's called you and he sent you as his witnesses even to speak of salvation in him. May the Lord Jesus empower you by his powerful spirit to do just that. So let's pray together now. Our loving Father, we thank you for your great son, the Lord Jesus, uh, whom you sent to redeem us. We thank you that the Lord Jesus, who is himself very God, nonetheless came to earth, was born, lived a human life amongst us, lived the perfect human life that we've never lived and died on the cross to pay for our sins so that we need not. We thank you that we know that Jesus' sacrifice for our sins has been accepted by you because you gloriously raised him on the third day. We thank you that he's now risen and ascended to heaven and is at your right hand from where he has sent your spirit. And we pray, Father, that for us who are trusting in the Lord Jesus as our personal Lord and Saviour, that you might indeed empower us by your spirit so that we might have courage and tact and wisdom and graciousness and boldness uh, to speak to others about the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you'll give us grace to speak to friends uh, and, and that we speak to on the phone and friends we text and friends we interact with through social media. We pray that you'll give us grace to interact in, in, in these evangelistic ways with um, friends from school. Father, we pray that you'll empower us to speak about the Lord Jesus and the wonderful salvation that we have in him. And we pray that through this, that many, many men and women and boys and girls and young people might come to know salvation as we do through your son, Jesus. We pray all these things in his great name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.